I think I've shared with some of you that uh, as I was, uh, we were newlyweds and uh, I, I, we, I needed to, you know, make some money. We'd been married for about a year and uh, I had completed a master's degree, but we needed to pay off some school loans before raising funds to move to Brazil. And a friend of mine said, David, you ought to come work at New Horizons Computer Learning Center. I said, well, what's that? He said, well, we sell computer classes. I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm not a big computer guy. You know, at that point, I don't know a whole lot about, oh, no, no, we'll do training, and it's a really good start pay, um, and, I, and I think, I think it'll be a good fit. So, you know, why don't you check into it? They're hiring. And so I did. I had just finished uh, the, the, my master's degree, and uh, Jessica was, uh, was almost uh, into our life. She was almost uh, to the point of being born. And so we knew that man, we've got to have some money to pay off the school bills and then head to Brazil as God allows. So when I went for a job interview, and I, for, for whatever reason, I still can remember uh, sitting down and Larry. Larry came to, to interview me for the job. And Larry, you know, he, he had a suit on, and he was all decked out, and I probably wore a tie, too. You know, it was a sales, salesman's job, and so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to look sharp. And, and uh, I was nervous because, you know, I'd been training for the ministry. I wasn't really familiar with the business world, uh, but here we go. You know, I'll give it my best shot. And uh, on my resume, I had some powerful credentials, uh, owner and operator of David's Lawn Care, you know, and some different things like that that I had on my resume. And I thought, man, this is a winner. There's no way that they could reject, uh, reject me. But as we sat down, Larry looked at me and says, one of his first questions is, David, are you motivated by money? And then he just paused. And I was not expecting that. But, you know, I thought for a quick a split second, I'm like, yeah, we need to pay the bills and we need some groceries. I was like, yes. Yes, motivated by money. Now, the next six to seven months that I worked at New Horizons Computer Learning Center, I began to understand even more what he meant. Everything was about money. Everything. So they had incentives. You'd come in and they would hype it up like, whoever sells the most classes today can throw darts at this balloon. And if you win, you know, if you sold the most classes and you throw a dart at the balloon, there's different things inside the balloon. And you can win money amounts or you can win a, 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 a dinner at a nice restaurant. Uh, the, the biggest salesman of the month can drive around the BMW convertible. And so there was competition and people were getting upset at each other for stealing contacts and all, these, all this stuff. And it was all about money. And after a while, I thought, I, this, is, this is not my cup of tea. And thankfully, God allowed us to pay off uh, the school bill soon, and then we're able to go into full-time deputation and head to Brazil. But I learned through that, there were some requirements for that job, and one of them, as Larry very succinctly said at the very beginning, you have to be motivated by money. Now, as we look at the service here in Philippians chapter 2, there are also some requirements as we serve God faithfully what are they? Look with me in Philippians uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, some versions have, have mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. One of the first requirements here is that it requires focus. It requires focus. Paul had just finished in Philippians 1, 27 through 29, 
And it's, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that, are, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But notice this, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And then verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So in the first part of Philippians, as we saw last week, Paul was encouraging and challenging the Philippian church, even in the midst of suffering, even in the face of difficulty from opposition, from without external opposition, you can still have true happiness and you can still please the Lord in your life. Here, he begins to say, okay, now as a result of internal division, internal pressure, you can still have true happiness as you learn the aspects of service and humility. And so then he goes right into, it requires focus. Now, I appreciate how Paul, he didn't just come right in and say, okay, this is what you got to do, bam, bam, bam. You know, here's, this is the list that you have to fulfill. He begins to recall the blessings that the Philippian church, himself included, and all of us as well, the blessings that we have in Christ. And then later, and we'll see here in a few minutes, how once he lays that foundation, once he, he draws the focus in on remember these things, these truths, these realities, and then because of that, you can serve. And because of that, you can be humble. Because of that, you can think of others. So jump back into it requires a focus. First of all, focus on the encouragement found in Christ. Focus on the encouragement found in Christ. Philippians 2.1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now I want to ask you, have you been encouraged in Christ? What do you think? Yes? Amen? No? Yeah! So we, we could spend the rest of the day, probably do a whole series, in fact, on how we can be encouraged in Christ. But I'm going to just hit on a few things really quickly. First of all, we can be encouraged by the reminder that we belong to the family of Christ. We see in Philippians 2.1, that very first phrase, so if, there is in, so if there is any encouragement in who? In Christ. And that little phrase, in Christ, appears approximately 80 times in the New Testament. It's, it's as if God really wanted to stress the importance of you belong. You are not alone. This, you are part of the body of Christ. Your identity is in Christ. And I'm glad that we belong. I'm glad that maybe you might have a horrible family background. You might even come from a bad home situation. However, Christ says, listen, in me, you're secure. In me, your identity will never change. In me, your identity doesn't depend on your friends, your coworkers, your boss, the, the Larrys of the world. You know, it doesn't depend on those people because you belong in Christ. We can be encouraged by the joy that we can have in Christ even as we face suffering, we saw last week. As we saw, you know, Nick Vujicic, who was born without arms and legs, but yet God has given him an amazing grace to be able to not only tolerate and survive but thrive for the sake of the gospel amidst all the difficulties that he's had. Ernie Miller, as he was in the last moment, you know, days of his life, as I read last week, his mind was, how can I encourage my kids to live for Christ? It still rings in my mind the, the messages that Wilson recorded for his children 
just before he was intubated. And shortly after that, unfortunately, unfortunately for us, fortunate for him, but he went to be with his Savior. And he recorded the messages. He never got to see his kids while he was in the hospital. They wouldn't allow kids to go up. But he recorded the message and he says, kids, continue to follow Jesus Christ. It's worth it. He told his parents, who were, who were unbelievers, he said, listen, my life has been recently about Jesus Christ, who I came to know as my Savior, and I want you to know, Dad and Mom, that he is the only way, moments before he would never speak again. So we think, yes, there can be true happiness, even in suffering. We can be encouraged by the hope that we have in Christ, even while grieving the death of loved ones. The next verse on the screen will show this, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. I've been at funerals where there's been people who have no hope. Even though, you know, as God gave me opportunity, I would try to share the hope, but I, I, I can remember some of the visions of people clinging to coffins and screaming and wailing and, and in utter despair because that was it for them. They had no hope. But thank God we can have an encouragement in Christ that even when the darkest nights and the darkest moments of loss that we experience, of loved ones that we were so close to, but yet we have hope in Jesus Christ. And we can be thankful for that. We can be encouraged in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is not of the United States of America only. It's not of Rwanda only. It's not of Brazil only. It's not of Ukraine only. But our primary citizenship is where as believers? It's in heaven. So it doesn't matter what may happen in our various countries, like Brazil losing in the World Cup. It doesn't matter those things because ultimately our primary citizenship is in heaven. And so that brings us true encouragement in Jesus Christ. Secondly, focus on the love found in Christ. Philippians 2.1 goes on and it says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love. Now we're going to explore this in a little more detail here in a few minutes. But Paul said in another letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Paul uh, uh, he basically is saying, and he goes on and says, this is what compels me. I want to live my life for the one who died for me. And that was his motivating factor. And it should be for us as well. You know, it's not hard for me to do acts of kindness and even be sacrificial for those who are close to me who have shown over and over and over again that they love me deeply. It's not real difficult. But yet we were so unworthy. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of his love then, we are motivated to, to be encouraged the love that we find in Christ. Thirdly, focus on the partnership we have with the Holy Spirit. Focus on the partnership that we have with the Holy Spirit. So if there's any encouragement, Philippians 2, 1 again, if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. And I want you to understand, when it says, if there is, really the idea in, in the passage here is, since there. Because these things are true. Paul's not saying, you know, hopefully, or, you know, maybe, or, or if by chance, he's saying, no, since 
there's an encouragement in Christ. And since you have this love in Christ, remember the verse that says nothing can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. So these truths, and it says basically, since we have the participation with the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's interesting, participation. He indwells us. He's inside of us, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. You, you can't get any closer than that. So the Holy Spirit, yes, he has a very intimate relationship with us. So much so that we see in Scripture that sometimes when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Does that encourage you? It does me. Because there have been many times where I come before God and my heart is, is burdened or heavy or sad or frustrated or maybe just tired. And I just sometimes like, I, I just, I don't know what to say. God, I don't know how to pray. My wife and I were just talking a few days ago about something that, that has been very, very dear to our hearts, and, but also very, very difficult. And, and she mentioned how difficult it's been, you know, was to pray through that. But yet we found comfort in the fact of knowing that God knows our hearts and God knew her heart and, and, and knows even how to pray for some of those situations. That's the encouragement that we can have in the participation in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit works within us to grow us closer to our Father. And we say, Abba, Father. Dad, spiritual Heavenly Father, help us to grow in you. Fourthly, focus on the affection and mercy that we have in Christ. Philippians 2, 1 again. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Or some versions have any affection and mercy. You know, God has shown us and continues to show us indescribable affection and mercy. Several times throughout Scripture, one of the, the classic uh, examples for me is in Ephesians 2, where it begins to talk about how we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and we were children of wrath, and we were separated from the God uh, you know, of, of salvation. It says, but then it goes on and says, but God. But God. And that's all it takes. As lost as we can be, as sinful as we can be, but God is all that's needed. And he has shown us an abundant amount of affection and mercy. Second Corinthians even, Paul writing to a, a problematic church, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That is the God of comfort that we have, of affection and mercy. That brings us encouragement. That lays the foundation of, okay, this should change my perspective. This should help me to model what kind of attitude I should have towards others even. So God shows us indescribable affection and mercy. But even in this letter, we see the Philippian church uh, showed remarkable affection and mercy to Paul. Look back with me in Philippians 1 verses uh, 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Paul says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And Paul shows great affection for this body of believers. 
And he, he's very thankful, and he, and he expresses that several times throughout these four chapters of, listen, thank you for being a partner with me. Thank you for the, for the fact that when many others weren't around, you, you remained. Epaphroditus showed remarkable affection and mercy to Paul during Paul's imprisonment. To the point even that Epaphroditus, and we'll see later, we'll, we'll study Epaphroditus' life in greater de- detail, but Paul says that he, even for the sake of the gospel, almost died. He risked his very life in the service of Jesus Christ first and foremost, but also for Paul, his dear friend. Man, Paul is, is saying, because we have this great affection and mercy, there is so much encouragement that we can find in Christ. Now, if we were to take a few minutes, I, I bet that many of you would be able to recall and say, yes, I remember back when such and such happened, but God used this individual, or God used this person, or God used this church family to show me great affection and mercy. I could think of many instances where that's happened. I could think of many instances where, you know, in times of great need, volunteers have come over and helped us paint a house that we're trying to move into or, or clean a dirty rental that we're about to move into and, and, and be alongside of us and get sweaty and get tired. And it's not because we were paying them well. And even the food that we served wasn't always the best. But they were there. Why? Because they loved Jesus Christ and they loved us as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I recall the time that I've shared before, but it, I, I don't think we'll forget it soon. Kim had had surgery and was very weak physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. And some friends would come over, and one friend in particular came and oftentimes would stay there and sit and talk and encourage her and say, you've got to eat. I'm not leaving until you eat. And encouraged and, and lifted her up because of the affection and mercy found in Jesus Christ. So we see that we can focus on the affection and mercy that we have in Christ. Not only does it require focus, so this is the foundation. Paul says, don't forget these things. Since these things are true, now what? Next thing is requires unity. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2 says, complete my joy. Notice this is a command. It's, to us, it kind of sounds awkward. Wow. <laughs> Paul's writing from prison, and he tells the Philippian church, okay, make me happy. But as we understand, Paul was following the call of God to to spread the gospel, to start churches. This was the first church in Europe. And Paul knows that what he's challenging the Philippian church to do, if they fulfill that, they won't only make him happy as the spiritual father of some of them and as the apostle that God's called to minister, but he knows that they'll make Christ happy first and foremost. So he says, complete my joy. How are they supposed to complete The joy. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So first of all, we see here in Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So the same mindset. The same mindset. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Philippians 2.2. It's interesting as... We've done different things and with, with various families, with our own family, with Kim's extended family. But oftentimes, people within a family understand inside jokes, understand inside hints. And, and they just they think alike because they've had a lot of experience together. And they've gone through a lot together as a family. 
And that is true uh, without a shadow of a doubt with Kim and her older sister, Tina. Let me just warn you, you don't want to play uh, a gestures or Pictionary against Kim and Tina together. Kim will begin to, to like draw, a, she'll draw a line and Tina will go, oh, you know, that's the Washington Monument. What? How did you get that? And then, you know, she'll go on to the next one and do a, a circle. Oh, that's the universe. And I'm, I'm slaving away trying to do all these things. But Kim and Tina, they get it. They, they can guess and they understand each other. And as we spend more time together as a family of Christ and as we get to know our Heavenly Father and His Word better, man, we'll have the same mindset. We'll have a unity that the world will look on and they'll go, what is up with those people? There's a lot of differences among the group, but boy, they seem so, so unified. They seem like they're kind of all you know, going in the, same, in the same pattern. They have the same mindset because we're of the same Father. We have the same Word. We have the same Holy Spirit. So the closer that we get to God, we too can show, yes, we have the same mind. Secondly, the same love. Philippians 2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Having the same love. We have the same source of love, as I already mentioned. 1 John in chapter 4, verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. It doesn't say that God loves, although he does, but by his character, by his essence, God is love. None of you can say that about me, I guarantee you. I'm going to do my best to love you, and I'm going to do my best to love my family, and I hope that I'll be more faithful doing that than not. But none of you can say, you know, Pastor David is love. Nope. As a sinner, with God's grace and the, and the hope that he gives me and the Holy Spirit within me, I hope that I will love often and faithfully. But we can look and see that God is love. That's who he is. 1 John 4, 16, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's the source. We don't get the source of love out of you know, cool books that we read. We don't get the source of love uh, out of other you know, people that we, that we can consult with. No, our source of love as believers is God alone, is Jesus Christ alone. But not only that, we have the capacity to love because God loved us first. We have the capacity to love because God loved us first. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, which he has, we also ought to love one another. So it makes the clear connection because of God's love, then, yes, then we should love others. Because of the vertical love that we receive from God the Father, then that capacitates us, equips us to love horizontally. 1 John 4, 19. We love because why? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure this is, 
no, I'm going to pass. I, I'm, I'm just going to make something public, and I think it's public, but I'm going I'm to pass. It's within our family. We'll give you some hints, but I'm online, so we won't let the online community know. But afterwards, ask around um, about someone that might be expecting. Okay, so that's all I'll say. But anyway, when that happens, that young one, even before birth, is already being loved, Right? And there's expectation, there's dreams, there's excitement, because there's a, there's a hope, there's the expectation. That baby has no opportunity, no clue yet how to love back, but yet the parents are investing and in loving already. Now, this is a very silly illustration. Please don't get offended. I'm not comparing any of you to dogs, okay? But this is just something that came to mind, so humor me for a minute. As I was growing up, my grandparents, they would breed Pomeranian dogs, I'm not sure quite why they chose Pomeranians. As I've grown older, I've, I've you know, met other breeds of dogs that seem to be you know, a little superior, perhaps. But they, <laughs> they, breed, they bred Pomeranian dogs. And we had a Pomeranian uh, for a while growing up. But I remember that at one time they had three Pomeranian dogs. They had Sir Huffman. Whew, it's a little Pomeranian. Sir Huffman. <laughs> so they had Sir Huffman. They had Angel. It was actually a pretty good dog. And then they had a little Pomeranian that was called Lady. And as a kid, I remember when, whenever I was around, Lady would just, she would, she would just run away. I mean, she would not play or be around us kids. She would only come close to my grandpa and my grandma. And, and they got Lady later in life, so the, the theory and the thought is Lady was probably abused of some sort, maybe kicked maybe injured, maybe hurt, harmed, not cared for well. So Lady did not have much capacity to love back. She was always afraid, always going behind the door, always going in different rooms. And as much as we little kids wanted to get Lady, and maybe that's why, you know, she was, would run away. There wasn't much capacity because Lady had come from a home where she was not treated and wasn't loved well. That's not the case for us. That's never an excuse. It may be an excuse physically and in our earthly life, but spiritually, none of us can say, well, God hasn't loved me well. He has. And he loved you first. He loved you so much so that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. So we love because he first loved us. We also, as we see this, the same love, we have an outward-focused reason to love each other. We have an outward-focused reason to love each other. Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That is it's an evangelistic reason of why we should love one another. As people watch on, as those in, you know, around our lunch tables, maybe where you go, your, your, co- your co-workers, or maybe in the cafeteria at KSU, or maybe at True McConnell, Caleb, or maybe even here at Northwest Classical Academy, as others look on and see how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, it should, as Jesus says, point them to understand, yes, God is true because he makes a difference in the lives of his followers. And that's how we can know that they're disciples, if they love one another. We have the same mindset, the same love. But Philippians 2.2, 2, we also see the same direction. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Being in full accord 
and of one mind. Tony Evans, I enjoy hearing Tony Evans speak. Occasionally, if I'm traveling, I'll try to you know, put some messages on, and he's a very enthusiastic speaker. I enjoy reading some of his books and illustrations. And Tony Evans gave, I thought, a good illustration for this passage. And he basically painted the picture, think about a football team. Imagine a football team where 11 guys that line up and they have the ball, they're on offense, um, you know, it's, it's uh, first down and 10. They have the ball. There's 11 guys. And imagine if all 11 begin to think, you know what? I'm kind of tired of being a lineman. And the tailback says, you know, I'm kind of tired of running the ball. I'd like to kind of pass the ball. And, and the tight end says, you know, I don't just want to run pass patterns. I think I'm going to throw the ball too. And all 11, upon the snap, they all kind of run back and try to grab the ball to be the quarterback. How do you think the team would do? It wouldn't do well at all. So all of them have their different functions. And when the play is called and they're in the huddle, you know, blue 61, blue 37, or whatever it may be, that play tells each one of them exactly what they're supposed to do. This person's supposed to block this way. You're supposed to kind of curve around. And then you, running back, you go through the hole here. And every single person has a function. Are they, is it uniformity? No, it's not. But it's unity because they're all headed the same direction. They all have a purpose in where they're headed. I don't know if any of you saw it, but there's a, two high school teams that were playing for the state championship. There was four seconds left. This team was down by, I think, by like five. The quarterback threw a Hail Mary. The pass was received, but as he was good, he wasn't in the end zone yet, but as he was being tackled, Then he tossed the ball to another one of his teammates, did a lateral. The guy caught it and continued another 15, 20 yards and scored a touchdown to win the state championship game. You know why? Because that team was working together. They they knew where everybody was, and they were working together, going the same direction for the same purpose. There's a lot of differences in this small group right here. But yet God wants us, as we are of a full accord, of one mind, the same love, the same mindset, that we would be going the same direction and, and say, God, please use. I want my talents. I want my time. I want whatever you've given me to be a good steward to within this local body of Jesus Christ. I want to help this body go in the same direction for your glory. Paul says that is what it means to go in the same direction. Not only does it require focus, not only does it require unity, but we see also it requires humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We should be humbled by our, by our position in Christ. Paul has just reviewed, and so have we, the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, the encouragement that we have in Him, the love that we have in Him, the participation with the Holy Spirit, the great affection and mercies that we have in Him. So all of those things should should remind us that, you know what? Without Christ, I can't do anything. Without Christ, I'm not a big Dave. 
heard an evangelist one time say, and sometimes at home I'll, I'll kid the kids and I'll, I'll bring up this, this phrase, but uh, some of you may know him, Jerry Savinsky. He, he said in a message one time, some of you men think you're big cheese, God will make you cheese spread. <laughs> that was a, one of his sayings. And I'm like, man, you know, and I remember that. Because some of us do think we're big cheese. I'm like, yeah, yeah I've, got it, I've got it taken care of. I know what life's all about. But as we think about the encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ, the affections and mercies that we receive not only from God himself but from others around us, that, that should humble me of my position in Christ. But not only that, but humbled by our place in Christ's body. Humbled by our place in Christ's body. I don't know who exactly said this, but it's, it's often been said, and so you've probably heard it before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Sometimes, you know, we might get confused in thinking that humility is, well, you know, I'm just not real good at that. Or, you know, no, I'm really not the one that you want for that. No, no that's not true humility. God does give us gifts, and he wants us to exercise those gifts. Many times he'll stretch us to do things that we may not feel the most comfortable doing. But in doing those things, we need to think of ourselves less. Instead of thinking, wow, not many other people would do this probably. Um, Ironside was a, a preacher, and, and he tells a story when he was younger that uh, in Chicago, he was challenged by an older minister in, in learning and trying to become more humble to, to put a kind of a sandwich board, you know, over himself. And on the front of the sandwich board, just put a brief presentation and summary of the gospel and walk through Chicago, you know, most of the day. And so he accepted the challenge. And he, he did this. He put the sandwich board on and he walked through, you know, Chicago city most of the day. And he got a lot of interesting looks and, and, and felt kind of awkward doing that all day long. But by the, at the end of the day, he came, came home, you know, took the sandwich board off, and, and then he thought, boy, there's probably not many other people that would have done that. And then it hit him. I just blew my lesson in humility. And so we all do the same thing, right? We all do the same thing. It's so easy because we're human, because we're sinners. Even as we do good things, it's so easy to think, hmm, good thing I'm doing this. Probably not many other people would. Wow. And we may not do it physically, but we're just inside, we're going, way to go, Dave. Good, good job, bud. And God, God's saying, listen, um, you need to think yourself less. Why? A couple things. The Christian life is not a solo journey. The Christian life is not a solo journey. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Continues on, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest. If, if selfishly I and if selfishly you seek your own glory, and that's the idea of conceit, if you seek your own glory, this passage and even some versions translate it as a, as a vain glory, as a vain conceit. In essence, an empty glory. A glory that's not worth having. A glory with no basis. And Paul, in the previous chapter, has described exactly that when he was saying there were men who were preaching the gospel in his absence, 
in, in trying to harm Paul. And Paul's basically saying, listen, I'm glad the gospel's being preached, but they're doing it for the wrong motive. And may God help us to not do good things, but for the wrong motive. May we remember that the Christian life is not a solo journey. But remember, the Christian life is a group journey. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, this is kind of the flip side of the, of the command. We've already seen the negatives, so, so the warnings of don't you know, look on your own interests alone and, and, and don't do things in selfish ambition and empty glory or empty conceit. That's the, the warning. But then the positive side, we see in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the Christian life is a group journey. Now, to do this well, first of all, manage your life well. By God's, by God's grace, and, and as you're in his word, and as you are participating, as the Holy Spirit indwells within you as a follower of Christ, manage your life well. Philippians, I'm sorry, in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, it says this. Paul, again, is writing this letter, but to a different church. And he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly. Notice this. To mind your own affairs to work with your hands as we instructed you. Why? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul is challenging the people here of the Thessalonian church. Listen, manage your life well. Do your very best for the glory of Christ. Not for your fame, but manage your life well. Ephesians, Paul again writing, says, let the thief, in Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So part of the opportunity and part of the capacity of being a blessing to someone else is managing what God has given you first well. If you're not being a good steward of the things that God has given you, and it may not always be money, it may be your time, it may be your talents, but if you aren't taking what God has given you and saying, God, I want to manage these things to the best of my ability for your glory, but also for others' good, if you don't manage that well, then you're, not going, to, you're going to miss out on blessing others as you could in God's will. So manage your life well, but then secondly, maximize your life for others. Maximize your life for others. Galatians 6, 2 and 3 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Over and over again, in fact, about a hundred times in the New Testament, we see the phrase one another, and over 50 of those times, there's specific commands on how we're supposed to relate to one another, to one another, to one another. 50 times. And a hundred times, a reminder of, listen, you're not in this alone. It's not a solo journey. This is a group thing. And God knows our tendency. God knows that our tendency is to think sometimes, you know, I, no, I can do it on my own. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I don't need pastor. I don't need others to, to speak truth into my life. I, I'm okay. I'm going to do this on my own. And yes, I love God, but I, I'm just kind of give me my space. And all throughout the New Testament, both in word and in example, Paul being a classic example of this with all of his coworkers, shows time and time again, it is not a solo journey. It's a group journey for the glory of God. And may God help us to manage our life well and to come before him and say, God, you've given us much. You've given us a lot. Kim read an article, and I won't read the, the whole article, but a couple of things stuck out to me as she was reading through this. It was a, a, a lady who began her life here in the United States, but then as a kid went with her parents to Liberia and began to experience you know, missionary kid life in Liberia. And as is often the case, missionaries often worldwide, they, they even if they're in extreme circumstances, many times missionaries uh, thankfully are very blessed and are able to live in, in, a, in a step up in some conditions that might have electricity. And sometimes those things are necessary to even do ministry effectively. And she related that. She said, you know, even in the difficult circumstances that we lived in, as I lived longer and longer in Liberia, I began to notice that we were so much financially even better off than everyone around me. She said, then as an adult, I, I, you know, my husband and I, we served in Tanzania and began to see even more how blessed we have been. She says, then as we moved back to the States and I began to be, get more adapted to adult life in the American economy, in the American culture. She said, I realized how easy it was for me to just begin to be swept away with the idea of materialism. To be swept away with, yes, we need more. Yes, we need to throw this away. It's not good anymore. I need this new thing now, and I need that new thing. And she said, good things can be used for God's glory, yes, but may we always be careful to, to use and maximize our life to the fullest for his glory and for others' good. One thing she men mentioned that just really stuck out, I didn't, I didn't check the statistic, but even if it's half true, it should challenge you. What she mentioned was that we will spend, in America, we will spend at Christmas more than all the countries except for 17 in the world. We will spend in Christmas, you know, with Christmas gifts and lights and activities, and we'll spend at Christmas time and in this season more than all the other countries in the world except for 17, their gross domestic product will spend as Americans at Christmas. Even if it were just half of the countries, that statistic would still be remarkable. Now, why do I say that? I want to ask you, how will you use your life? And I think it might be on the last, is it up on the last? Yes. How will you show Christ to others by your humble service this Christmas season? How will you take and, and think, okay, God, what have you given me? We represent 4% of the world's population, but we have 30% of the world's wealth. And that's just one aspect. Don't get me wrong. Wealth is just one resource. Your time is a huge resource. You, the abilities and talents you have is a, another huge resource that God wants you to use for his glory. How will you do it in the next few weeks? How will you look and say, God, I do want to use my time, and we're so busy. I think with you it's so easy to get just 
I mean, you, it, it feels like a tidal wave and you get swept away and there's all these things that you're, you feel like you're expected to do and, and we try to do and, and we are all tied up in the season and sometimes we miss some of the core reasons for Christmas and what it's all about and the message that we have to share. And may we as adults set the tone and the example for even our kids who are watching on that they would learn from early on Christmas presents are fun and Christmas lights are beautiful. But way beyond that, what brings even greater joy is to give sacrificially of our time, give sacrificially of our resources, give sacrificially of the talents that we have in service for others, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, maybe a fellow student at KSU or Truett McConnell or Northwest Classical or wherever you may be, but God help me to show Christ to others by my humble service this season. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray?